0: Hi everyone. This is Dr. Tori and today we're going to talk about the organic acids test. This is one of my all-time favorite tests. I love it because it shows us so much of what's going on in the body and it really allows us to figure out where we need to dive dive deeper. This test will look at the gut, it's going to look at brain chemistry, it's going to look at vitamin levels, it's going to show us you know how your um how your body is handling a lot of different a lot of different things and then we know what what areas we need to explore more? Do we need to look more in the gut? Do we need to look at environmental toxins? Do we need to look at molds? This test shows us a ton, and it's very, very helpful and gives us just a ton of useful, great information. So when we look at this test, this test, the beginning of it is going to show us the intestinal microbial overgrowth. So it starts with the yeast and fungal markers. And so when you look at number two and number four and number five, this is going to show us mold. It's going to show us aspergillus more specifically. And so when we see two, four, or five high, we know we need to look and do what's called a mycotox test. And that's going to show us what type of mold we're being exposed to. So do we need to look at um, is there ochre toxin for example? And we'll be able to kind of figure out really what what they're being exposed to so we know exactly what what they need to look for if they're gonna have if there's water damage in their house they can look and see if the mold that they have in their house matches what's found on the test or if it's you know work or wherever it is they kind of know where they're being exposed sometimes you're exposed in you know water damage buildings sometimes you're exposed in food and so it can be exposure from a different few different ways but if you don't remove yourself from the exposure or get the exposure taken care of if it's something like your house, you're not going to really see the progress that you're wanting to make even with antimicrobials because you're continually exposing yourself. So figuring out where the mold's coming from and what type of mold it is, you kind of have to play a little bit of detective, but it's definitely necessary to know what's going on. Then we look at number seven. Number seven, arabinose, this is the candida marker. And so candida is a fungal overgrowth in the gut. and this is a marker that we see quite frequently pretty high and so um, with candida it is a fungal overgrowth so we definitely will start to put in some antimicrobials but another aspect of fungal overgrowth is you have to make sure that you pull out sugar. Candida loves sugar and so this is where we'll put people on sugar-free diets. This includes fruit, this is going to be grains, this is this is going to be things like uh, legumes, all very, very important to pull out to make sure that we're not being um, feeding these infections. And so when we see Candida, usually in the functional blood panel, we'll see in the blood work, we'll see some sort of pattern of infection. And so usually we can correlate the the candida and the blood work to see that there is infection. If it's a long-standing infection we may see the white blood cell count down and then um, that usually gives us a sign that it's long-standing but if it's something that is newer the white blood cell count might not be super low. And then we go down into the bacterial markers. These bacterial markers show us this is your good bacteria. And so when we see that these are really high, this is something we know that their good flora and their bad flora are very out of balance. We call this gut dysbiosis. And so when we see gut dysbiosis, we know that there's more things going on in the gut. When you have infections or you have parasites, gut dysbiosis is very common because the normal ecosystem of your gut has been disrupted. And so it's not uncommon to see high markers 10 to 14 when you have things like number seven is high because we know that that's an infection. This one also is showing that he has aspergillus molds. So we know that there's a good amount of infection there so gut dysbiosis is definitely something that is um, very common to see. When you see number 14, the DHPPA is high. Sometimes that can be kind of an indicator to look more towards SIBO, just shows that there's some beneficial bacteria overgrowth. Um, You can correlate that with the classic symptoms and see if that's something you're working with, but um, these guys are basically just looking at gut dysbiosis. When we look then at Clostridia, Clostridia are a really fascinating branch of bacteria because they can cause a lot of symptoms, they can block a lot of conversions, they can be very, very um, disruptive to our body, to our brain chemistry, and so it's a very important one that we're looking at. And so the most common markers to see are going to be 16 and 17 um, higher, those are usually the ones we see, But um, number 15 and number 16, all of these are all clostridia. And so with that, we know it's a bacterial infection um, of the clostridia family. And so we can address that. And so this person has a bacterial infection, has gut dysbiosis, has candida, and has mold. So a lot of different infections going on in the gut. Then we go and we look at the oxalate metabolism. And so when we look at oxalate metabolism, oxalates are basically a metabolite that's produced. It can be produced by a few things. It can be produced by an infection. Candida is a huge producer of oxalates, and it can be produced by food. And so when you look at this one having high oxalates, you can say, okay, we go back to the candida, and we say, okay, you have high candida here, but it's not crazy high and his oxalates are very high. And so we say, okay, it's probably a combination. Then It's probably food and it's probably the infection. So getting rid of the infection is going to be a huge part of bringing down the oxalates, but also we need to reduce the foods that are high in oxalates. So this is going to be nuts, spinach, berries. A big one for a lot of people is celery juice. I know right now the, the, Biggest trend we're seeing is everyone's drinking celery juice. Well, celery is really high in oxalates. And so if you have high oxalate levels, you have a candida infection, your oxalates, you really can't afford to be, you know, pounding oxalates. And so celery juice is very high in oxalates. So removing those foods is also going to be very beneficial. There's also supplements that you can take to remove oxalate levels. Calcium magnesium supplements will help. B6 will help. All of those are really helpful in bringing down oxalates as well. Then we look at lactic acid and pyruvic acid. These lactic acid will go up when you have infections. So it's a metabolite that's gonna be produced by infection. So it's something that, you know, when we see infections and lactic acid, that's definitely where it's coming from. When we go into the mitochondrial markers, mitochondria are the powerhouses of your cell. With If your mitochondria are struggling, you're not going to have the energy that you want and so some people have mitochondrial genetic defects and so you can tie this test in with the genetics and you can see if they have any mutations in their mitochondrial markers which might make their mitochondria work a little bit more sluggish or chronic infection is going to be hard on your mitochondria if you can imagine your body is trying to kill off infection your engines are running and running and running well eventually they're just going to slow down because they never have time to rest they never get time you know, to have a break from trying to kill off infection. And so we definitely want to make sure your mitochondria are running well and are supported. Number 24, this is an interesting marker. The succinic acid, this will show us, if this is really high, this is showing us to look at environmental toxins it won't always be high. So if you suspect that someone has high toxicity, you will definitely run a environmental toxin test on them. But if succinic is really high, it's a really strong indicator that you need to look elsewhere. You need to look at environmental toxins or heavy metals or both to figure out what is going on. Then the rest of these are looking at your mitochondria. So when you start to see that these are high, it means that you usually need some mitochondria support. So some NAD or some CoQ10 to make sure that you're basically giving your mitochondria what they need to work efficiently. And then we get into the neurotransmitter metabolites. And so these are, this is really cool that we can see in a test, we can look at your gut and your brain chemistry in the same test. It's amazing. And so HBA is looking at your dopamine. Then dopamine gets converted to norepinephrine, and so we can see how that conversion is happening. And so for him, his dopamine is not converting great. It's it's all right. It's not converting great. And so we know that he might need some precursors to. There are some precursors you need to make this conversion. B6, copper. Those are some big ones that are needed to make this conversion. So we test. We can test further and see what he's missing to make that conversion. When you see this HVMA, the HVA to VMA ratio, this is basically looking at this conversion and so if it's ideally we'll have it about one but when it gets above 1.4 we know that there's some serious conversion issues and so we definitely will look deeper. Some people can have um, this conversion blocked by infection. Clostridia will block this infection or this conversion And so for him, he has a clostridia infection. So that's most likely what's causing this blockage to occur is he has clostridia. So clostridia will just make a little block right here so that it won't convert efficiently. It also can um, be a genetic variant. It's called the DBH deficiency. It's a dopamine beta hydroxylase deficiency. Far more rare than not having the right precursors or having an infection. But if we go down those um, areas and we don't find it, then we can look for DBH. If someone has a DBH deficiency, usually dopamine will be very high, norepinephrine will be very low, and this ratio will be very, very high. So it's usually a pretty easy indicator to see that that is going on. Then we look at number 36. This is looking at serotonin. So his serotonin is lower than we'd like to see. And so, um, you know, when we know that there's gut issues going on, your gut is responsible for making about 80% of your serotonin. So it, I wouldn't expect his serotonin to be very high with those multiple infections, and I wouldn't expect it to naturally get better on his own until those infections are cleared and we start to re-inoculate his gut with some really good beneficial bacteria that, so he has the bacteria needed to make serotonin. Then we look at quinoleic. Quinoleic is a really cool marker. It shows us neural inflammation or inflammation in the brain, and so when we look at at quinoleic, his quinolaeic is low, but sometimes when we see that it's high, this can be related to um, brain injuries, you know, concussions, falls, that kind of stuff, or it can be due to massive inflammation in the body or inflammation in the gut. So, you know, massive infections have been known to raise quinoleic up fairly high. And so when you see that quinolaeic is high, It also can be due to environmental exposure and heavy metals too. Those are big drivers of high inflammation. So when we see high quinoleic, we definitely want to figure out why it's high, what is the underlying cause. And then we want to, you know, there's things we can put in like resveratrol is wonderful, glutathione to help detox. There's certain supplements that are just amazing at bringing inflammation down. Then we go into our ketone fatty acid oxidation. And so when you look at number 42 and 43, if these are high, you have to go back and you have to look at Candida. These will be higher in someone with Candida. And so you have to go, okay, if say number 42 and 43 were very high, if they have Candida, then there you go. There's no issue there. Um, And then we look at numbers. Um, so basically the rest of these can kind of be off for a few different reasons. 44 and 40 through 48 can be off due to fatty, fatty acid oxidation disorders. It can be from a carnitine deficiency. It can be from fasting. So if you have someone that's doing something with intermittent fasting, you need to ask, are you, are you fasting? Are you not eating? You know, did you do this test while fasting? Cause that can drive these markers up. Were you, um, having a lot of MCTs? Are they doing something like bulletproof coffee or adding coconut oil to their, their smoothie in the morning? That can drive all of these up. And then you look at individual markers. And so subaric, if that's high, that can be, you know, associated with your overnight fast. That's your classic fasting one. And then the adipic. That one, if it's high, is definitely our, we call it the junk food marker, and so someone, if they eat a lot of junk food, that one can be really high. So you kind of have to look at this whole picture and then break it down and try to decide what might be the issue. Is it really a fatty acid oxidation disorder or are they just fasting or do a lot of fats? So you kind of have to be a detective again here. Then we go into these nutritional markers. Nutritional markers are really cool because they're showing us what's in your cells, not what's in your blood, but what's actually in the cell. What gets confusing is that you see these little asterisks. Asterisks are backwards, so high is low and low is high. And so when you see his B12, you would think, oh, he's on the high end, but he's actually more so on the low end of normal. B6. His B6 is a little bit low, and we talked about needing B6 for multiple conversions, so this is definitely needed to break down our um, oxalates, and it's needed in some of those neurotransmitter conversions, and so we would definitely want to bring his B6 up. B5 looks good. His B2, uh, you would look at this, you know, and you would think, oh it's on the lower end, but it's one of those, the riboflavin is one of those tricky ones with the asterisk, so he's actually on the upper end of normal, he's great there. Vitamin C needed for a lot of conversions and so he's very low. We definitely want to see his vitamin C higher. CoQ10, he looks good. We'd want to see that CoQ10 somewhere in this middle range. If your CoQ10 was low, you would link back and you would look at those mitochondria, whereas mitochondria off, whereas mitochondrial markers off, And if they were then it was his CoQ10 off and if his CoQ10 was low you would say okay I think you need some CoQ10 to support your mitochondria and then um biotin is the same way high is low and low is high then we go into number 58 and 59 these are glutathione markers and so his glutathione is very very low glutathione is interesting it's probably my favorite supplement, um, and favorite. I love glutathione. I think it does so many amazing things. And so glutathione, we can look. Some people, um, genetically need glutathione just in normal day, their normal day life. They don't detox well. And then, um, when you have any sort of chronic infection, chronic inflammation, glutathione is the first chemical used in the inflammatory pathway. And so if you've had anything chronic going on your glutathione stores get used fairly quickly. And so we'll see that glutathione will be low. So if we see glutathione it's one of those backwards one is low we definitely need to supplement with some glutathione to bring this back into range. Number 59 2-hydroxybutyric is interesting because it can mean a few different things. And this is again where you have to play detective and you have to figure out what it means for you. So it can mean low glutathione, but more often than not, it means that they need methylation. They have some sort of methylation issue. And so this is where testing the genetics or going back to the blood and looking at homocysteine levels would be really, really beneficial for you because you'd be able to see, okay, am I methylating? If your homocysteine's higher or you've looked at your genetics and you see in the methylation pathways a bunch of mutations or a bunch of bunch of variants then you know okay I think I need some methylation supplementation to bring this back into range. If you've looked there You've also checked your toxin load. Toxins can bring the hydroxybutyric up too. If you've gone down that rabbit hole and you don't have a lot of toxins, then we can say, okay, I think it just purely meant that I was low on glutathione. But more often than not, this marker means that there's methylation needed. Then you go into the ammonia. When ammonia is high, it can just indicate infection. Ammonia is produced by a lot of things, including parasites. So if you see ammonia is high, it can just indicate some sort of infection. And then you look at the, this marker shows a few different things. And so this one is mostly going to look at GI bacteria. You can see if there's a lot of, you know, gut dysbiosis based off this, but you kind of have to start asking questions. You have to figure out, was this person consuming a lot of aspartame or any chemical like that? If they're consuming a lot of aspartame, that's why this is high. But if not, it's most likely due to, you know, gut dysbiosis, infections, something like that. For this person, it was mostly gut dysbiosis. Not a lot of aspartame consumption there, so we know that it's definitely the infections, the gut dysbiosis, that's what we're looking at. This Section in here is looking at amino acid metabolites. So it looks at a lot of different genetic variants um, for breaking down amino acids. And so if something does pop up, um, you it'll tell you exactly what genetic variant this person has. This one does not have any. And then we look, the last thing on this test is phosphorus metabolism. And so phosphorus um, is vitamin D dependent. And so sometimes when you see this very low, look at someone's vitamin D. If their vitamin D is low, then their phosphorus is most likely going to be low because it's vitamin D dependent. And so, um, you know, just check into vitamin D and make sure their phosphorus is within range. Then they go into creatinine. This is what makes this test really valid, is they test your fluid intake and they see how hydrated you were. And so the bar- the numbers are going to change based on hydration level because if you're really hydrated, and they didn't change the the markers it would look like you would have low markers compared to someone that was dehydrated. So this is basically just the validity of the test. So that is an organic acids test. It's very very fascinating, very very insightful to the body. It shows us a lot of what's going on. It gives us good ideas of where we need to go. Do we need to look at molds? Do we need to look at environmental toxins? Do we need to look at heavy metals or neurotransmitters a little more carefully? It shows us all of that, so it's a great starting point, a really good test um, that is just a pretty good overview of the body, and it really helps us. We can tie it back into other tests, and so we can say, okay, we saw this pattern in the blood. We saw high homocysteine in the blood, and we're seeing this issue with methylation here, so we know there's methylation needed. Or we saw this pattern of um, a low white blood cells and you know high monocytes and lymphocytes, so we know there's infection something like that, we can tie it back in, which is really cool. And so it's very, um, a very, very good test just to show us exactly what's going on the body and what we need to look further into. So I hope you guys all learn something and we will talk again soon. Have a good day. Bye-bye.